Good morning! Blah, 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 blah. Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Guess what tomorrow is? I think you know. What about our pets? More and more people are taking their pets trick-or-treating with them. Is that a good idea? More and more people are dressing up their pets. I have tips on that. And we'll talk about whether that is a good idea. Dr. Chris Pockle will be here, a veterinary behaviorist, to talk about, well, how to keep our pets so they are not scared stiff on Halloween. Dr. Renee Schmid is the manager of medicine and professional services and, and there's more, senior veterinary toxicologist at Pet Poison Helpline, Dr. Schmid. What we want to... Hello! What we... Blah, 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 blah! Are you scared? Because Halloween is around the corner. It is around the corner, isn't it? And it's kind of scary for veterinarians because you see so many clients that can be avoided, that you really don't need to see because they get into trouble and they really didn't need to in the first place. That must be kind of depressing to you in some ways. Sometimes it is, yeah, because animals, they're so curious. And if they just knew to stay out of something and could save themselves a lot of trouble and stress, it would make everyone's lives a lot easier. So you have all those kids ringing the doorbell. Yes, they're back at it. And Halloween is in high gear. And then it ends. You go to bed, but you leave out the candy, which includes chocolate. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you bet. Chocolate is one of the biggest Um, culprits of poisonings around the Halloween time. And there's a lot of different types of chocolate. The concern with chocolate really does vary depending on the type of chocolate they get into. So the sweeter the chocolate, usually the more what's called theobromine, which is that toxic component uh, that is in the chocolate. And there's also some caffeine that's in there too, usually not a big amount. So the big concern is that is that component called theobromine. And these guys can really cause some havoc in animals. Even if they don't ingest enough to be considered toxic, they can cause pancreatitis. So a pretty significant inflammation of the pancreas and stomach upset, and that can wind them in the hospital, even if they don't get into something that causes poisoning itself. What about raisins? You know, so the good news is, depending on your perspective, is you go trick-or-treating, I don't know this firsthand, but I've, I've heard it, that people now give uh, apples that are pre-wrapped, healthy things, carrots even, those little packets of carrots, and raisins. So, yes, talk about raisins. Yeah, you bet. So raisins are a real concern, um, in dogs particularly. So we don't know what the specific toxic component of raisins is, So we can't necessarily figure out how much raisins need to be ingested in each animal. There's a lot of different variability between pet to pet. And raisins can cause kidney failure to occur. And so one of those small little boxes of of raisins that are often handed out at Halloween time, that is certainly enough to potentially cause kidney failure in even a, a large breed dog. Hmm. What are one of the other common problems that you see around this time of year? So some of them would be other candies that maybe contain xylitol. So there may be people who are trying to spare some of the trick-or-treaters a lot of sugar, 
And so they are using a sugar alcohol or a sugar-free type of candy, and that can contain xylitol. And if xylitol is present in those, they're highly toxic to dogs. They can cause low blood sugar to develop. They can also cause liver failure to occur. If the owner doesn't know that the animal got into that and it goes without treatment for a fair number amount of time, it's definitely something that can be fatal to these guys. And I want to talk... Go oh, ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Go, go, go ahead. Oh, no. The other thing I was just going to mention is sometimes all of those little, those little glow sticks, glow jewelry, glow sticks that animals like to chew on. They get it put into the, into the bucket with all the different candies. And so they're really kind of going to town on whatever's in there and in a, inadvertently getting into these glow sticks and glow jewelry. Fortunately for them, that's usually something that's just going to cause some stomach upset and maybe some drooling or excessive salivation, but not usually going to be a big issue for that type of exposure. Is Halloween one of the busiest times for the Pet Poison Helpline? Also explain what the Pet Poison Helpline is. Yeah, you bet. It is. Um, the Halloween, the few days leading up to Halloween, the few days afterwards after Halloween, always a very busy time of the year. Uh, we always kind of have a fun internal contest, so to speak, to see who takes the call with the largest amount of chocolate being ingested for the animals, because that's definitely the most common call that we get around the Halloween time period. Um, Pet Poison Helpline, um, who we are, we are a 24-7 animal poison control center, and we are never closed. We are staffed by veterinary technicians, veterinary uh, staff, as well as veterinarians and boarded veterinary toxicologists. We talk with pet owners as well as different veterinary professionals uh, to determine if an animal has gotten into something that needs to be treated. And we also guide them that veterinarian and that clinic as to all the treatment that is needed for that animal. You know, since I have you on the phone, uh, I had an email recently. You know, Chicago is a city with a bit too many rats. <laughs> In fact, we were voted, I'm so proud of this, the rattiest city. So people put out rat poison, which our pets can get into. So if a pet gets into, if a dog gets into in particular, because it's usually a dog, rat poisoning, what should folks do? Yeah, that's a big concern. And so there's generally three main types of ingredients in rat poison. One type is what we consider the long-acting anticoagulant. So those are the ones that are traditionally thought about. They cause bleeding to occur. The other active ingredient is bromethylin, which actually doesn't have any effect on bleeding, but causes brain swelling to develop. And then the third one is called cholecalciferol, and that actually causes an increase in blood calcium levels which then can cause mineralization of different tissues, with the kidneys being one of the most sensitive tissues and then causing then acute kidney failure to develop. That doesn't sound good. And I've always heard that identifying the specific rat poison, if you can, the exact product is helpful for people who do what you do. Yes, for sure. It makes a really big difference. As I kind of described the three different types of bait, there's three very different types of treatment that are necessary for them. And animals can get into really kind of more trouble, so to speak, if we start treating for 
the, the wrong active ingredient. And so I always encourage pet owners, if they are going to use a rodenticide around their home or their area, is to, one, make sure that they are in a bait station. And it doesn't completely prevent the animal from getting into it, but it certainly helps to slow or minimize the exposure, but also then keeping that packaging with them so that they have the active ingredient readily available. That way we don't start treating an animal for a particular poison that they didn't get into. If we don't know what it is, we can definitely still be helpful for this, but we are usually having to do a lot more therapy because we're going to start treating for all three of them if we don't know the specific one. Well, a terrific answer. Thank you, Dr. Renee Schmid, Manager of Veterinary Professional Services and Senior Veterinary Toxicologist at the Pet Poison Helpline. Dr. Schmidt, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bleh, 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 bleh! It's almost here, Halloween! Bleh, 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 bleh! It's almost here, Halloween! Yeah, our pets are sometimes scared by the doorbell ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing, but... We have the man here who has all the answers, veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Chris Pockle. Do some of our pets get terrified, really, at Halloween? Absolutely. If you think about some of the, well, quite honestly, some of the costumes are intended to scare, right? And they're something that only come out once a year. So for a lot of our pets, the novelty of that is inherently something that that can sort of take their breath away a bit as well. Not to mention that for most of our households, we don't have the doorbell ringing 300 times in an evening with all of the voices and the chaos and all of the, the, the well, the sugar high children and all of the things <laughs> that go along with that holiday of Halloween. So, yes, it's definitely a stressor for many of our pets. I've always been a proponent of keeping those pets you think might be anxious in a room far away to close the door, close the windows, uh, maybe turn on the television or radio or some music so they don't as much hear that doorbell ringing. But uh, there's some other things we can do as well. There certainly are. No, and, I, and I love those suggestions that you just mentioned. You know, the the concern for me is not only the emotional response for the animal, but also even just the, well, let's call it the flight risk, yeah. right? With that door opening and closing and people distracted, there is risk of animals getting spooked or startled and escaping into the to the dark night and um, potentially getting lost. So I love the idea of seclusion, buffering, all of those things. And for those pets who may need a little bit of extra help, we do have a variety of products that are available through veterinary markets and through veterinary clinics to help reduce some of that stress situationally, even for something like the Halloween holiday. I know pheromone products can help, and I know there's a ton, and that's part of the problem, is that there are a ton of nutritional supplements available. Uh, do you have any that you particularly like? I do. And, and it often does take a little bit of trial and observation, whether we're looking at a pheromone product like some of those that you mentioned, or whether we're looking at a product like uh, like Zilkine from the Vetakinol company, that's a, a purified milk protein called alpha-casozapine. You know, there's a lot of options out there, and it may take a bit of, let's say, advanced planning to get that on board to say, hey, is this actually helpful for my animal? But I, I, it's one of the products that I do really utilize frequently in my practice for exactly that purpose. So you're telling me great-grandma was right when she said, if you're a little anxious, take a glass of warm milk at night. Yeah, grandma had a lot of wisdom, didn't she? Yes. It was certainly there. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. So in addition to that, can distraction work if you're leaving out a, 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 a food puzzle or something that the pet can do? Or if there are kids that aren't trick-or-treating at the time, to uh, an old term that dog trainers used back before my time even and your time is jolly the dog or distract the cat similarly with an interactive cat toy. Does, does that work? It certainly can. Yeah, there's a couple of things that are important there. Obviously, we want to make sure that we're providing safe enrichment for that cat and we're not going to, or for that dog, we're not going to upset their tummy by giving them too many rich treats uh, on, on those occasions. But absolutely making sure that we're keeping them busy and giving them something to do that they enjoy is a great way to shift that emotion to actually anticipating something positive happening. And whether that's really just a matter of keeping them busy and occupied elsewhere or again, whether we're truly associating that experience of the doorbell ringing and potentially scary or unusual costumes coming to the door with something that's enjoyable for the dog. It's a great way to start the process of counter conditioning for sure. What about actually going trick or treating with dogs? I know people have mixed feelings about it. And of course, it depends on the dog. But let's say the dog is a social dog, loves other people and doesn't drag the kids down the block on the leash. Uh, is, can that be acceptable that you dress up the dog and have a good time with the entire family? It sure can be. And, and I think it's one of the things that we sort of want to be able to do is really incorporate our pets into our social lives as well. I think what we have to be careful about is making sure that we're not, well, just projecting our enjoyment onto the dog, but in fact, the dog itself is actually enjoying the activity. And that requires being just a little bit more attentive to their body language and their overall mood so that we're really incorporating them for the right reasons rather than asking them to perhaps endure something that's really not that pleasant for them. So should I not ask you what Avenger you're going to dress up your dog as? My dog is not one of the dogs who would be taken out on a Halloween evening. I'll tell you what. He loves a lot of things, and he's definitely an adventure dog, but that is not his holiday. So, no, he will not have a costume this year. (laughs) So, being honest about it and saying, okay, my dog likes to do a lot of things, but that's not a good idea, is actually an appropriate answer, I think. Dr. Chris Pockle, thank you so much, and to you and your family, blah, blah, blah. Happy Halloween! You know, so many dress their dogs or cats in costumes now. Is that a good idea? So, here's the thing. I say ask the dog. I mean, you can get the dog accustomed well beforehand to costumes. But we don't have time now, right? It's not well beforehand. So, what do you do? So, if your dog likes wearing stuff or you've done it before, your dog's like being doted upon by the children, the dog may actually love the attention and love wearing it. And whatever costume it is, it's a little chilly on Halloween, right? So that might be helpful to keep certain dogs warm. There may be a practical reason for wearing them, but for a lot of dogs, I just say, oh, sure. Uh, For many dogs, wear the costume. Sure. But for other dogs, just put a bandana on the dog. You graduated from where? University of Michigan? You graduated from the U of I? I am certain, I know, that there are bandanas you can get that have the insignia, the team insignia on it. Northwestern, Chicago Blackhawks, 
Yeah, that's easy enough to find. Even last minute, just simply a bandana that you put around the dog. The dog doesn't care about that, and you can call it a costume. For cats, (laughs) I wouldn't even bother. So at this point in time, the day before Halloween, unless your cat is one of those few, and I do mean few cats, that is somehow accustomed to wearing things, it's probably not worth the trouble. I Now, if you're interested in doing that and you do have a social cat, now is the time to start for next year. But <laughs> to gradually get a cat accustomed to it. Make sure if you're making a homemade costume, it doesn't cover the dog, dog or cat's face because we don't want to obstruct their vision in any way. I am proud to be on the advisory board of what's called the Gray Muzzle Organization. This is a national nonprofit which supports and promotes the notion of adopting older dogs. How can that not be wonderful? And they financially support shelters very often with grants to take care of issues that are oftentimes specific to older dogs. Uh, Now, this is why I bring that all up. This story is incredible. Can you imagine spending your entire life in a shelter? So a dog named Flip bounced around the Ohio shelter system for seven years And at the age of about seven was finally, that's 2,555 days in the state's shelter system. And finally, Flip was adopted by Jennifer Shore. And to make sure it would be a good fit at that point in time, Lake Humane Society asked Shore to visit the dog. So she made a three-hour drive to the shelter because she just saw the dog online and said, I pick you. That's not always the best way to do it. So... She met the dog face-to-face, and the result? Love at first sight for both human and dog. But then they wondered, all right, we're concerned when they take the dog home, when Jennifer takes the dog home, how that's going to work out because this dog has never been in a home. Here's what happened. The dog, named again Flip, a pit bull-looking dog, ran right into the house, jumped on the sofa, and went to sleep. This dog perfectly made himself at home instantly, and they've been together ever since. Don't you love nice stories? And stories about adopting older animals make it even nicer. Well, during the pandemic, this wasn't so nice. Guinea pigs, who make for wonderful pets, particularly for children. I would choose a guinea pig any day over a gerbil because they're kind of skittish or hamsters. Same reason, they're kind of skittish. Nothing wrong with gerbils or hamsters, but... Still, guinea pig, they're more sturdy, they live a bit longer. That would be my choice. And in New York, it was everyone's choice. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, during the pandemic, uh, but, but I will say that uh, leopard geckos, everyone went out and got those. People got pets, certainly adopting dogs and cats, in record numbers. But also record numbers of corn snakes being sold to people from pet stores. So it it wasn't only guinea pigs, but for whatever the reason, in New York City, so many people have given up their guinea pig that New York City's shelter system is inundated with guinea pigs. They even had to buy new cages because they didn't have enough of them. Well, the good news is people are adopting them out, but New York now wants to ban guinea pig sales which I hope they do not do. We'll be back next week, bright and early, right here on WGN.